The Australian Sheep and Wool Show, as you may know, is the largest of its kind in the world, a collection of the greatest sheep genetics and fleeces anywhere on the globe. Sadly, this year in 2021, it's been cancelled again, but at the very last minute, which was really devastating for all concerned given the massive effort by so many to organise, commit and actually get to the event from around Australia. On the upside, the Australian Fleece Competition has happened given it's judged before the show and in its 20th year is really something to celebrate. So let's do that. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So in a bit, we're going to travel to one of the lesser known wool producing regions in Australia, an area that has survived severe drought and flooding in recent times and where the future now is looking really bright. But first, let's hear from Nutrien's Candice Cordy, who runs the Australian Fleece Competition. And she spoke to me while people around us, sadly, were packing up. Obviously disappointing not to have a show, but we do have the full results from the Fleece Competition, um, which is one highlight, I suppose. Congratulations for running the competition and for surviving 20 years. It's a, it's a very, very big effort, this competition. Tell us a bit about uh, the organisation behind it and the effort that goes into it. So the competition's a collaboration between Nutrien, Australian Wool Testing Authority and the Australian Sheep Breeders Association. We collect fleeces through the wool broking networks um, from right across the country, bring them to Melbourne for judging where they're fully tested and then assessed by two industry judges as well. So we had 407 fleeces um, in the competition this year, which puts us on par with the 2019 numbers for the 20th year. It's great to have that amount of support um, across the years uh, and I mean there are a lot of fleece competitions around Australia but this one's quite different isn't it? It's, it's set up differently and it uh, has both an objective and a, a subjective aspect to it. That's right, it's the largest fully measured fleece competition in the world. There's nothing quite like it where each fleece is benchmarked against a very high industry standard with a strong focus on the processing performance of the fleeces rather than relying more so just on their visual appearance as we see in a lot of traditional shows. Yeah, and I have to say as someone who's contributed, it's great to get that feedback and such thorough feedback across um, all measurements as, as a processor would um, look at your wool. It's a really interesting way to, to get feedback. You get more feedback from this than you do when you sell your wool. That's right, and combined with the, um, the visual scores as well, it's quite interesting. I do the penciling for the judging as well and to hear the impressions of the judges, particularly the exporter, when they come across the box. Um, it, they're looking at the brightness and the crimp and particularly the evenness across the fleece as well. And They always comment on the very high standard um, that you need to meet to take out a championship in this competition. And as someone um, who observes both the judging processes, how do they often measure up? The ones that measure really well are also presented really well, or, or is that um, something that doesn't always happen? Quite often, given that we're looking at, at obviously micron and, and length, and they both have CV figures on them as well, I think a fleece that's prepared well, skirted to an industry standard, um, and if from a sheep that's uniform from one end to the other, they'll score a lot better in the objective measurement as well, and they're obviously appealing to the judges visually. Well, it's great to see there's just so much passion still in the industry, and that's represented through um, this wonderful competition. Tell us, if you could, a little bit about how it, how it started and the people that, that got this going. So, Athel Frederick from 
um, nutrient or, or landmark back then and Tim Steer from AWTA have always been major players um, and members of the executive of the ASBA as well, um, Michael Collins and Graham Harvey are, are key components to it. Um, when the competition was founded, it was the first of its kind, so a lot of research was done by different wool organisations to set the benchmarks. There was a lot of surveying and work put in to make sure that it was a fairly rigorous assessment of the fleeces and that it did have some commercial relevance as well as providing good feedback to growers on their wool. And the fact that it has remained so strong for 20 years is testament to just how relevant uh, it is and how much people enjoy it. Yeah, it's been fantastic. We've got around 35 to 40 exhibitors that have had a fleece in each year of those competitions for the full 20, which is really encouraging. And it's also nice to see some new exhibitors as well come through each year. It just gives us a bit of a feel that it's still relevant and nice to see people enthused about lining their fleeces up. Yes, and people... Um well, uh, yeah, they'd, they'd love to, to see... Um, well, you certainly know who the winners are. They certainly let you know, and it's great to, it's great to hear. It's, it's, it's a great part of the industry. All right, well, let's talk a bit about uh, the results this year, Candice, and there's some new names. Yes, we've had Peter and Jane Lett from Conrain Marino Stud take out the Grand Champion Award. They also exhibited the Reserve Champion Fleece as well, so they had two fleeces that performed very well. Um, they did win the competition on its 10th anniversary in 2010. Oh, wow, that's an interesting symmetry. Yeah, yeah. it is, yep. The commercial champion was taken out by um, the Harris family from Costafield in Victoria, which is really lovely. They've been long-term supporters of the show as well. Uh, We also have an Ag Schools and Colleges Award to encourage younger people in the industry, and Hugh Cartwright from... Raywood in Victoria won that section with a Borderlester Merino cross fleece, which was very well presented. And it's great to see um, younger people putting their fleeces forward as well. That's fantastic. And so, uh, yeah, those new names are, are really interesting. And, and looking at uh, winners in the past, particularly when there's uh, the stud winners, they, it's a great point for them to, to then use as, as marketing as well to, to, to prove that not only do they have great sheep, but they put great wool on it. So uh, it works in a, lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that shows value in commercial relevance of the competition as well. Um, there's no, you know, they're very subjectively measured and objectively measured as well, so there's a, they have to be a good fleece to come up top. So Candice, um, you're carrying on a great tradition here with uh, Nutrient in this competition. Um, I think you've been running it now for four or five years from memory, is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah I've been involved for around ten and had the role of convener for a little while now. So what uh, what are you hoping to do in terms of putting your stamp on it? Um, how, how are you hoping to to influence and leave your legacy as part of this great competition? I think I like to really focus on how the fleeces are presented at the show and how we convey the information to as many people as possible. The results catalogue has so much information with all of the results um, and also has a brief profile of every fleece as well as far as bloodline, rainfall of the area, it's grown. Um, So I think that's a really good resource. So I'd like to see that utilised a little bit more and also the fleece display. We've got a range from ultra-fine merino fleeces right through to some British and heritage breeds as well. We've got quite a few Lincolns this year and I think the competition's unique in that people can have a look at a lot of different wool types. So I think it's great for the exhibitors and there's also some some room to really spread the message on wool to a lot of different people when they see a visual display. So that's probably my focus. Um, 
yeah, judging them rigorously and, and making a good display of it at the show. And for someone who's uh, been in the industry for a while now and has really hit their straps career-wise, how are you, how are you seeing wool and um, you're obviously still as passionate about it as you always were? I think there's a really positive future for wool. I, I think the product itself you know, ticks so many boxes, it's sustainable, um, it's great to wear, it can be used in so many different forms now and I think we're seeing a greater appreciation for that slower fashion movement and buying once and buying well. I think that's something we can really capitalise on and there's great investment in the technology behind processing wool. Um, Fantastic. So in just looking forward to, to next year, for those um, that are thinking about um, having a go at putting a fleece into the competition, when, are they, when do entries open and how do people enter? So people can start to put a fleece aside from now. We accept fleeces grown from the previous July through to the 1st of July, roughly the year of the competition. Uh, so I'd really encourage anyone that's a spring shearer um, to put a fleece aside uh, let us know you've got one and we'll open the online entries early next year and they just need to be um, making their way to our wool stores by late in May to be included. And one of the great parts of the competition is donating a fleece to a charity and this year's charity is a really special one as well. That's right, this year the Motor Neurone Disease Association will benefit from uh, around the two-thirds of the fleeces that are donated. Uh, wool growers have been incredibly generous over the 20 year history of the competition. Over the last 19 years they've donated $178,000 to national charities and it also gives the charity a platform to convey their message to a rural and regional um, audience as well which I know they appreciate. Yeah, so uh, MND, I mean obviously it's well known through uh, the big freeze but this is uh, still going to research, it's not, it's got, it has nothing to do with the big freeze in that sense, it's a separate um, fundraising effort but still the cause is, is just as special. Absolutely and there's obviously no cure for MND at, at the moment so I think there's a strong focus on um, caring for patients as well and assisting them any way they can. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a hideous disease that we, um, it'd be great if we could make some genuine inroads. Now, from what you were just mentioning before, you've reminded me of a story I did when I was working for the ABC and a lady won the best dozen brown eggs at the Mount Gambier show once and it was declared that they were in fact the same eggs three years in a row that she'd put in the freezer, <laughs> um, which was not against the rules but kind of bent the whole thing bent the whole um, sense of spirit of the show, <laughs> I'd have to say. Anyway, what is stopping someone putting the same fleece in? It is a term of entry that they're grown within the last 12 months and that the sheep has in fact been owned by the person exhibiting the fleece for the six months prior. I think while someone could do that, a fresh fleece that's shorn within the last 12 months certainly has that luster and, and nourishment about it um, that it that the fleeces do lose a little as they age. Right, so, so you can say it's not like Doris's eggs that kept well in the freezer for no, from year no, to year. No, no, obviously the wool's non-perishable, <laughs> but it does tend to look better <laughs> relatively quickly off the sheep. Yeah, yeah, and uh, hopefully unlike the eggs, one isn't broken. Um, <laughs> all right, Candice, well, thank you very much again for this great competition. It, it does uh, serve a very important um, purpose for the industry. And uh, all the best to you and, um, and to the competition. Yeah, thank you, Marius. And we're looking forward to coming back bigger and better next year. Candice Cordy there of Nutrien, and she runs the Australian Fleece Competition. And congratulations to all concerned there.
So we now head to Gippsland in Victoria, historically known for producing very fine white and bright wools. But in the last four years, they've suffered a crippling drought, a prolonged drought, and believe it or not, significant flooding earlier this year. Recently, I travelled to Benstar, where I delivered an overview of AWI activity around the world, known as Future Wool. It's a presentation that we've been giving around the country. But afterwards, I caught up with local elders agent Mal Nichols and local wool grower Steve Harrison. There's no doubt, Marius. It's been it's been tough down here. We had we did have a tremendously impactful drought, uh, fires, and some parts even a few few floods in the last few weeks. But I think what what I've seen is that it's really oh, the backbone of our wool growers in Gippsland has just strengthened, if anything, um, and we're actually seeing production lift at the moment, which is awesome. And um, through all of that, to actually see this happening, uh, the resilience of the Gippsland wool growers is shining out again. Steve, they say you've learned more in the hard years than the easier years. I mean, you must have learned a hell of a lot in the last five years. <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, look, some of my ewes had been fed for three years um, non-stop. Um, yeah, there was only five of us out of um, 30 farmers in the um, bigger district that had containment areas. We've got to improve upon that. Um, yeah, they definitely worked. Um, so that's an area that yeah we'll concentrate on going forward. Um, all of a sudden, yeah, we're guaranteed of early spring. So yeah, we'll endeavour to um, get silage cut, hay cut, and yeah, replenish those um, hay sheds and um, that um, that feed wedge. So how do you look ahead to better manage what is a, a, whether you believe climate change or not? We have to be more flexible with things. Are there different pasture systems that you're thinking of? Is it making more hay? Is it about growing grain? I, I think tonight you talked about a Kaikuyu pasture that responds to summer rain. How have you changed your system? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, at the moment um, I hate cattle, but yeah, all of a sudden I've, yeah, there's a fair few cattle running around. So at the time we had to try to um, restock and um, cattle were probably the cheapest option for us. Um, but having said that, yeah, we've moved into uh, weathers. Um, they're more of a trade option, um, but also a, a relief valve. So if things do get tight in the future, um, we can offload them pretty quick. But having said that, yeah, our mainstay is our um, stud and commercial flock. So we'll try and build the numbers up um, on that as well. Um, when it comes to pasture, yeah, look, um, we've just got to make the most of what we've got. And um, yeah, there's some. I'm sure there could be some better pastures out there, but you know the Kaikuya-based pastures in some parts of the farm, um, you know, sustained a lot of stock. We could flog them out, and um, at, during the drought they didn't blow away. Um, so yeah, there's certain um, aspects of the pasture that you know will yeah persist with, I suppose. Yeah, Mel. Well, I could add to that. I think it's been interesting here, Marius, tonight talking with some of the younger guys, and. Looking at the micron profile of wool in Gippsland this last 12 months, it's actually finer than it was at the end of the drought, which seems strange, except that the drought taught people the benefits of feeding. And, and so the stock came out of the drought in really good shape. And, and the guys here tonight, some of the young ones here tonight, are just thinking back to that and thinking, well, they feel like they've got some grass on the, on the ground now and the stock are just not quite in the same order they were at the end of the drought. So they're all talking about, you know, that, that um, additional feeding and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting, as you said, the drought teaches you, teaches you a lot. 
it's just what it's what you hang on to afterward and I think you know it's amazing listening to those young ones just where they're going to go with their feeding from here on. It's interesting it sounds as though they're very much in touch with their production system and what that those lifetime new lessons of energy and what have you. Um, in terms of the future how do you feel about the future we've had um, a presentation from AWI tonight as part of the future wool down here um, how do you feel about the future of wool Mel? Oh, I, I feel really confident for the next few years it's it's the wool industry it's hard to hard to put a time on on things and how it's going but at the moment I'm very buoyant about where we're heading with wool you know I, I love the fact that it's clean green and biodegradable and all those things that just fit into the current environment and apart from that um, you know most people know that uh, the best thing for me is to have my hand in some soft warm uh, stylish wool and that's that's you know shows through in the garments that are made from it. So, yeah, that's where I am, Murray. So I think it's great. So does that mean you are you telling people to lock in contracts at the moment, Mel? You sort of walked into that one, I'm afraid. But what are you telling your clients about the current market? You probably know uh, better than we do. I, well, you know very well, Murray, that it's not something that anyone really knows. But um, yeah, we've I've been a seller right through. Um, you know, you could argue that there were times we shouldn't have shouldn't have sold, but. Right through COVID, it was great that we actually had a market and um, to see it bounce back the way it has, you know, whether you sold this week, which was down a little bit, or last week when it was at a peak, it's still at a very good level for most wool producers at the moment. Yeah, long mate, continue. And Steve, how do you feel about the future having been through what is a pretty tough few years? You've the thing, are you a bit more optimistic about the future? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, um, whilst our sheep numbers are still half of what they could be and should be, um, yeah, we'll um, endeavour to increase them. Um, you know, pr production per hectare has always been a, um, a keen um, goal for, me, for myself. Um, yeah, the drought has taught us to just be a, a little bit careful, I suppose, going forward. But, um, you know, I'm always one to push the limits, I suppose, on um, anything and everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, I'm very confident um, going forward. Um, definitely the last six, eight months has helped with the um, rise in wool prices and, you know, less wool passed in, of course. Um, so that's, yeah, and a, a couple of my neighbours have locked in and um, so um, a portion of the clip. So, yeah, there is opportunities now to take advantage of the prices where they, yeah, we still need, you know, it'd be good if it was $20 a kilo. Um, I think that's where it, um, we'd all be happier. Um, but, look, it's certainly heading that way, which um, is uh, encouraging. Fantastic. Well, Steve Harrison... Thank you very much for having us here. Mal Nichols from Elders, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure to be back in Gippsland and all the best for the future. And hopefully the next five years are a hell of a lot better than the ones you've just gone past. Thanks, Marius. Thank all right. Thanks, thanks, guys. Gippsland wool grower Steve Harrison and Elders wool agent Mal Nichols, two very passionate wool men from Gippsland. And to look for a future wool event near you, head to the events section at wool.com or indeed contact us through theyarnatwool.com. So that ends this edition of The Yarn from me, Marius Cumming. Thanks for your company.